Hi, everyone. Uh, so I'm going to be doing the reading for Psalm chapter 119. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. The heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Justin, for reading God's Word. Uh, so my name is Alex. I'm one of the bivocational elders here today, and I have the privilege to be able to preach God's Word to you today. But before we get into it, we'd like to welcome some of our newest attendees. Uh, they just, as uh, Tim was saying, they just graduated from Sunday school. Uh, they're Ella, Christian, Alyssa, Isabel, Nate, Tobias, Abigail, and Drew. If you could welcome them. So New Hope, please look out for these uh, young ones and in the coming weeks and months, see if they have any questions, see if you can help them in any way, and, and please uh, pray for them as well. Uh, so would you join me in praying for God's word for help in leading today's sermon? Father, we thank you for this uh, church. We thank you for Pastor Rob, the leadership, the worship team. Uh, there's so many uh, humble servants that uh, sacrifice and diligently work um, and things that uh, we don't see. There's a, a lot of people that are uh, servant-minded at this church, and uh, they know what it's like when you said that you came to serve, not to be served. Um, we thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. We thank you for your example, and we ask that you lead this sermon uh, you be the truth that is spoken. Uh, you be the reason why we gather. And you be the reason why we are changed uh, and are transformed by the word. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I'd like to uh, put up a picture of uh, some uh, South Korean missionaries. These are a group of 23 South Korean missionaries that went to Afghanistan in 2007, and they were abducted by the Taliban. Two men in the group who were elders at the church were killed. Prior to that, the South Korean government agreed to pull their troops from Afghanistan, and they gave it a large sum of ransom money to Taliban, and then they were released. I was listening to a pastor speak about having dinner with this group after they returned back to Korea. One of the missionaries spoke of having a single copy of the Bible and how she ripped it up into 23 parts and then handed it out to each of the missionaries. They were all separated 
Uh, and in their time of isolation, they read the Word of God. They prayed over the Word of God. Loved spending time with the Word of God. Loved the Word of God. And relied on the Word of God. In complete desperation, as they awaited possible execution. And then they shared after they returned back home, they had, they had strangely longed to be back there in Afghanistan. And how during their time in Afghanistan, they had an intense intimacy with the Lord. And that their communion with Jesus during their alone time, with His Word, was very deep and meaningful how they could hear Jesus so clearly. And then when they returned back to the comforts of their home in Korea, because all of the distractions and noise in their modern lives, they found it hard to have the same intimacy with Scripture and had difficulty hearing Jesus. Suffering is necessary. Have you ever met a person who has lived a very comfortable life, who has not had uh, any significant struggle in their looks, their health, their education, their career, relationships, all gone well? Do they lack depth in their knowledge and in their words? Were they not aware of their strengths and weaknesses? Now juxtapose this person with another person who has had a hard family life, who has dealt with failure, health issues, tragedy, loss, death, but has weathered these trials and come out on the other end. Of course, this may be an overgeneralization, and there may be some exceptions. But I think we all know people that have some similarities with either of these two types of people. Uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky uh, a famous Russian writer who some consider the greatest novelist of all time. And although we're not sure if he was a true Christian, a lot of his books had deep Christian undertones and themes. He said this about suffering. Pain and suffering are always inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart. I can't imagine a great person who has never suffered. Let me repeat that. Pain and suffering are always inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart. I can't imagine a great person who has never suffered. Do you agree with Dostoevsky? Suffering is necessary. What do you think? So let's go back to the passage for today and see what God's Word says about this. Can you please open up your Bibles to Psalm 119, starting verse 65. So Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, and it's actually the longest book in the whole Bible. Nearly every verse in Psalm 119 mentions and exalts the Word of God. Did you ever wonder, what in the world are those strange words hovering above the paragraph? These strange words like, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth. And in today's passage, we have the word Teth. 
Well, Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem of the Hebrew alphabet. So just like you, I didn't know what the word acrostic meant. Um, Acrostic pattern writing is when you have a paragraph where the first letter of each sentence begins with the same letter. So, for example, in the English alphabet, the first paragraph, the first letter would be all start with A. And then the second paragraph of each sentence, the first letter would be B. And the third paragraph, C, and so on. So each strange word that is hovering above the paragraph is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, actually. And then each sentence of that paragraph begins with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet, subsequent to that. So by structuring the psalm as an acrostic poem, it uses the entirety of the Hebrew alphabet. The psalmist is attempting to show a comprehensiveness of the subject matter. Just like somebody today may say, okay, today's teaching is going to cover everything from A to Z. And in fact, Psalm 119 is a comprehensive reflection of the Hebrew Bible as a guiding principle in all aspects of human life. The acrostic structure of the psalm signals order. The psalmist acknowledges that the reality of the world is disordered, hostile, menacing, but he invites us to a different world, one that has been rightly ordered by God's instruction. So it's not known for sure who wrote Psalm 119, but it's believed by most experts, probably written by King David in a way to teach his young son Solomon the Hebrew alphabet. But not just the alphabet of writing, but also the teaching of the alphabet of life. So Psalm 119 has been used many times over as a regular part of Jewish, Orthodox, Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, and Protestant liturgies. It's even been set to music and sung. You guys know who uh, William Wilberforce is? He's a famous uh, British politician whose life and work was instrumental in overthrowing and outlawing human chattel slavery. He's famously been known to have memorized all of Psalm 119. And when he was walking from Parliament to his home, he would recite 119 every day. This is uh, memorably depicted in the movie Amazing Grace. So let's zoom in and take a closer look at the text for today and see what God is teaching us. So you can put up the slide. Yeah. So if you step back and look at this passage in its entirety... There appears to be uh, like a progression of thought. But let's specifically focus on three, the three underlined verses there. Verses 67, 71, and 72. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So it looks like there's three stages of thought can, that can most simply described in three words. Can you put the next slide? Straying, learning, and loving. So let's focus on verse 67. So before I was afflicted, I went astray but now I keep your word. So before affliction, straying. 
Or a one-word summation of this verse could be said as stringing. In the original text, the Hebrew word used here for afflicted can be further translated as humbled, troubled, weakened. And the Hebrew word for astray can mean err mentally, to sin ignorantly, or inadvertently. So another way you can state this verse is, before I was humbled, troubled, and weakened, I was in error, ignorant, and in sin. Can you think of a time that your life was going really great and a period of calm and rest and you were really comfortable? Like maybe perhaps the last uh, vacation you took to a warm, balmy place, beachy. You had really nice dinners, delicious desserts, and you slept in really late. And then for Sundays, maybe you had a really short family worship, or maybe you just forego church altogether, so you get back to your relaxing. Your quiet time of scripture reading, you usually do in the morning before you go to, go to work, so maybe perhaps for several consecutive days, there was no prayer or no scripture reading. Can you relate to that? When you go on vacation, you're away from your, your small group, your church, your youth group, your discipleship group. Sunday service here at New Hope, and your regular routine is altered, and then something happens. When things are really comfortable and easy, it seems to be human nature to stray away from spiritual disciplines and pursuing intimacy with God. Because of our inherent sinful nature, most of us tend to veer towards idols, sin, worldly desires during times of prosperity. Thus, for a Christ follower, there is a danger of prosperity and comfort. Conversely, there's a benefit of adversity. So let's look at uh, verse 71 now. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So a one-word summation, learning. So the same Hebrew word for affliction is, again, used here. That was used in verse 67. And then statutes here means laws, decrees, ordinances. So during affliction, there can be a resultant learning. And the learning during suffering can be much more impactful and long-lasting. C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian writer, philosopher, who wrote Chronicles of Narnia and Screwtape Letters and Mere Christianity, he put it like this. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God shouts to us in our pain. And a difficult time of suffering can produce some good things, like endurance, character, and hope. Look at Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. Now, I can see how suffering can produce endurance and character, but how in the world does it produce hope? Somewhat odd. So hold that thought for one minute. We're going to get to that. Just a second. So youth group members especially the new ones, Ella, Nate, 
Abigail, Isabella, Tobias, Abigail, Drew. I see some of you. Are you sleeping? Are you saying, Mr. Alex, I haven't gone through any suffering. What are you talking about? All this suffering stuff. I mean, the worst thing that I've been through is I had this bad stomachache because I had too much pizza or ice cream the night before. What are, I can't relate to any of this. Well, did you know that suffering can help us not to sin? You know, there's a peculiar, strange, restraining power of affliction and suffering. What does that mean? So have you heard your parents, Ella, say to you, you have to learn the hard way? Or Nate, have you heard your mom say to you, you have to eat healthy to be healthy and feel good and grow? But you're like, eh, I don't know about that. So one day when you're, they're really busy and they're not keeping an eye on you, you eat ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then the next day, you have bad diarrhea and stomachache the whole day. And through that pain, then you finally understand and believe what your mom and dad were trying to teach you. Well, in hard times, God can separate the sin which he hates from you and I whom he loves. Suffering can separate us from our sin. Then you're able to listen, understand, and follow God's teaching. And because of our sin, this cannot be equally done when things are all fine and dandy. Now check out what the Apostle Paul says here in 1 Peter. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So I believe Peter's point here is that when believers are willing to suffer, the nerve center of sin is severed from our lives. And although believers will never be totally free from sin, when believers endure suffering for the sake of Christ, they wake up and realize that their purpose in life is not just to live for their own pleasures, but rather to live according to the will of God and for his glory. So let's go to verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So the one word summation of this verse, loving. So you see there was a Straying, learning, and loving, and affliction is on top, causing the straying to turn to learning. And so the one-word summary of this verse, loving, loving. So if we can leave verse 72. So the NIV translates this, the law from your mouth, and the message translation puts it this way. Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. So we have this starting point of strain, then we endure affliction and suffering, which causes learning, and in the end, result is loving. The end result is loving God's word, loving Jesus. Amen? Can somebody say amen?
Tobias, amen? All right. So you know uh, when a group of people uh, go through extreme hardship together, when they lock arms and push through, and they arrive successfully on the other side, they often develop a deep love for one another. You often see these for, like, soldiers when, they, when a platoon goes away, when they come back from war. Or when a football team gets through a hard but successful season, like the Michigan Wolverines last year. Or remember the Korean missionaries? The ones that went to Afghanistan? The ones I mentioned at the beginning? This is especially true for someone who relies on God's word during times of suffering. You know, one clear lesson taught by affliction, affliction that is undergirded by deep dependence on prayer and meditation on the gospel, is that it produces a deep appreciation of the truth and the faithfulness of God's word. Let me repeat that. Affliction, when it is undergirded by deep prayer and meditating on the gospel, it often can produce a deep appreciation of the truth and the faithfulness of the Word of God. It can result in a love for God's Word. You know, I I once heard a pastor say, you can't be a true Christian unless there's at least some spark of delight in the living Word. I think he is right. Christ's sheep know his voice. Listen to what the German theologian Martin Luther said about his Bible. I would not live in paradise without the word of God, but with the word, I could live in hell itself. Let me say that again. I would not live in paradise without the word of God, but with the word of God, I can live in hell itself. Some pretty over-the-top, dramatic, hyperbolic words. But I think they have some truth. So church, the scripture is an ever-overflowing fountain that cannot be drawn dry. It's an inexhaustible treasure that cannot be emptied. Love for God and love for God's word goes hand in hand. You should not see one without the other. And from today's text, we see that suffering is often necessary to produce a love for God's Word. Now, getting back to the question that we asked a few minutes ago, how does suffering produce hope? Or in other words, how does it produce an optimism or joy for the future? Hope and joy. So you probably heard people say, or when they pray, Jesus, make us more like you, right? But how do you accomplish this? It just so happens, as stated multiple times in the New Testament, just how to do this. And it's plain and simple. Suffering. Suffering is necessary. Suffering is a clear way to become like him. Check out Philippians 3 here. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead 
Now here comes the hope and joy. Check out these next verses. 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We see this over and over in the New Testament, how as Christ followers we need to suffer. So how does this produce hope and joy? Tragedy for the Christian is always temporary and never permanent. I'll speak that. So tragedy for the Christian is always temporary and never permanent. So as Paul stated here in in Romans in the previous verse, the suffering of this present time, it can't even hold a candle to the incredible eternity in heaven with our Lord Jesus. And the permanent result will be so wonderful that our brains cannot even begin to comprehend what that is. That's it. This is what can give you hope and joy. Moreover, check out this next verse from the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Just take a moment to meditate on that. These words, this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Wow. This is what is promised and guaranteed to us. Now, New Hope, if you meditate on uh, God's guarantee of future grace and ask for the help of His Spirit, there will be an unshakable, durable, long-lasting hope and joy. And did you know that sometimes through suffering, God can even use it to bring one to saving faith? Suffering can shake someone up and sweep them away from their straying, causing them to learn about themselves and who God is and maybe the only way to bring someone to love his word, to love him. So I'd like to tell you about a friend I knew growing up. He had a very comfortable, stable home and family. He went to great schools. He did well academically, socially, athletically. 
Then he got a great job in New York City, had an upscale apartment, a cool car, and an attractive girlfriend who later became his wife. By appearances, he had it all going for him. Yet there was an underlying ache or a longing in his heart that he couldn't explain, a low-grade constant depression and emptiness. Then through a huge fallout of a very important relationship with someone very close to him, he spiraled into a deep depression. He lost all his confidence in himself. He lost all his self-worth. It was the first major failure in his life, and he had a really hard time accepting it. For close to 10 years, he struggled every day with anger, bitterness, betrayal, rage, unfairness. But through this trial, he began to think more deeply about himself, about his life, his purpose, his meaning. And then out of the blue, in in helpless desperation, he began to cry out to God. He wasn't, at that point, he wasn't even sure that God even existed. And it was the very first time in his life that he truly prayed. Then through the urging of a good friend, he began attending a good church, which began a slow spiritual and intellectual journey. And after several years, he became thoroughly convinced that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, and that Jesus really bodily rose from the dead. And then he was baptized and he became a Christian. Suffering was critical for him to deeply think about his life. Suffering was necessary for him to ask who God was and to thoroughly investigate Jesus and the historicity of the resurrection. Suffering was necessary for him to completely trust and follow Jesus. That young boy was me. If I had not gone through my time of suffering, I would not be standing here today. My life would look very different. Suffering was necessary for me. So how does all this point to Jesus? Jesus Christ is shockingly different from the founding persons of all the other world religions. Christianity is very unique. In no other worldview does God become flesh, suffer, and die for you. In fact, in some religions, it's blasphemy to even think that God would degrade himself and be humiliated like this. The God of Christianity is very personal. He knows you, everything about you, everything you have experienced and will experience. Jesus Christ is an expert on suffering, especially unjust suffering. Jesus is the ultimate innocent sufferer. Jesus Christ is the best person who ever lived, and yet he suffered immensely. He knows exactly what you've been through and what it feels like. If you lost a child, as God the Father, he knows your pain. If you've been betrayed, if you've been rejected, 
Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. If you feel alone, anxious, afraid, abandoned by everyone, even your very closest friends, he knows how you feel. If you've been a victim of any type of injustice, he knows exactly what you've been through. Jesus Christ has been through every human emotion and then some. He knows you. He knows your pain. There is nothing or no one like Christ. You hope desire to get alone with him, hear his voice more than anyone else's, get alone with the word of God, love the word of God, love him. If you're not sure how to do that, you can talk to uh, Brian, one of the elders, one of the deacons. It's not easy but it can be done, and believe me, it's worth it. Friends, suffering is such an immense subject with so many ways in which God's Word speaks to this. And if you are personally undergoing suffering, I hope that this sermon didn't trivialize or minimize what you are going through. There are so many different permutations and how suffering can profoundly and devastatingly affect your life. There may not be an easy answer. But I would encourage you to plug into a community of believers, like here at New Hope or another Bible-preaching church. Plug into a small group, a discipleship group, a youth group. Reach out to one of the elders, a youth group leader, a deacon, Nancy LeBoy, the Mercy Ministry. There is a community of faithful believers here that can walk alongside you and can help carry and share the weight of your burdens. Additionally, there are some other helpful resources we can point you to. There's a great book uh, by Tim Keller on pain and suffering, and for a very deep dive, there's, a comprehend- there's comprehensive teachings on suffering by um, an excellent Christian philosopher called uh, Alvin Plantinga. So... Um, you can speak to me after if you, if you want more information. So, brothers and sisters, suffering is often necessary to produce a love for the Word of God and a love for Jesus and can produce an unshakable hope and joy. We believe in a God uh, who hates suffering but has allowed it Because he said there's going to be a greater good and glory in the long run, in the future. A God who says, trust me, I can see things that you can't. And we can have absolute, 100% certainty that he truly loves us because he died for us 2,000 years ago on a hill just outside of Jerusalem. So as we close, uh, could you stand and read uh, God's word together with me? Uh, It comes from uh, Isaiah, where scripture so well describes who Jesus is and how he has suffered for us. Isaiah 53, verses 2 to 5. If you could read together with me, you hope. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for um, Psalm 119. We thank you for what you teach us about suffering uh, in in our society today, suffering is not something that's talked a lot about, um, but it's something that is all around us. We just have to look. It's everywhere. And we thank you that uh, we have the ultimate innocent sufferer that taught us what it means to suffer and taught us that suffering is never meaningless and that it can produce something in us. And sometimes we don't see or understand, but that we should weep, but trust. Weep, but trust. And that we should always, 100%, know for sure that you love us. And that is never in question because of your death on the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. We thank you for your example. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your sacrifice. We love you. We pray all this in your name.